hey, we are at the end of um, what, a 12, 11 or 12 week series that we've done over two, two time slots in November and then in February and March. And we've been walking through a series called Better, uh, walking through a New Testament book um, called Hebrews. So if you just, just joined us today for the first time, we want to let you know that, often, that our messages are all backtracked on our website on podcasts, and you can listen to them right off our website or on iTunes. And so some of the things I might refer to today um, might, might point backwards uh, to our series, but uh, we're going to just jump into this. We've been walking through this, this book of Hebrews, uh, 12 or 13 chapter book in the New Testament. And we're going to come to a close today. So I'm excited about that. Um, As we've walked through this, we've called this series better. We've called this series better because all throughout the book of Hebrews, in fact, 16 times the author uses that word, better, to describe the better life, the better hope, the better kind of rest, the better joy, um, the better future, the better access that we have when we come to know Jesus. In fact, the author starts right at the beginning of the letter uh, just giving us an amazing picture of Jesus and how his words, his life, his proclamation um, was the climax of God's voice speaking into history. It was better than anything that came uh, before that. And we got a chance to understand uh, like the readers of the first century letters, their struggles, their obstacles, um, their faith, uh, their ups, their downs. And we got a sense to see how the author keeps pointing them to the fulfillment of Jesus throughout this amazing letter of Hebrews. So today we're going to have some final thoughts. In fact, some, in, in some ways I wish we could have been in a big circle and I would be sitting on a chair and we can be chatting about this. Um, because we're going to literally you know, walk through just a couple of chapters, some, some thoughts throughout it um, as we do this. So, so, but as we read, we're going to just read a couple of portions of it. So we're going to read the first part of chapter 12 and the last part of chapter 13. So if you've got your Bibles, it's chapter 12, but you can follow on the screen with me, and um, I'll read these two sections and then fill it in as we go along. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and I'll pause. If you were here last week, we talked about just the heroes of faith that we read about throughout the Old Testament and that the author refers to in chapter 11, these cloud of witnesses that are people of faith that, that have you know, were before us and in some ways gone, go before us as well towards the finish line and cheer us on as we follow Christ and live this life. So, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And we're going to go to the last few verses of this book. Chapter 13, verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Hey, let's pause and pray for a moment. Father, we just take a brief moment and we say welcome to your voice um, intersecting our hearts and lives right now. 
We long for you to speak. Um, take these words from the pages and uh, intersect our hearts and lives. God, for some that need encouragement, some that need challenge, some that need direction. And God, go beyond my words. I know you can. I'm limited. Um, and so we just pray that, that you'd have your way in us this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We, we, we basically just read bookends to this last section of Hebrews 12 and 13, the first part of 12, the last part of, of 13, and, and it's kind of bookends of this final section, and as we read through it, we would read, it's like we're reading like the final words of a parent whose kids are going off, like maybe they're moving out of the house, or they're going off to a trip, and, and if we read everything in between what I just read now, it's, it's almost like the parent wants to get everything out. Like, wants to make sure that, that the kids know everything, don't forget anything. So it's almost like, hey, remember this, don't forget that, I love you. Be kind to others, be careful, don't forget your sister, you know, she still exists. Uh, remember who you are, did you pack your underwear, kind of like, things like that, okay? It's like, he, the author tries to get everything out in the last two chapters, just so the readers, these first century Christ followers, uh, don't forget and have what they need to move forward in their journey. Now, of course, the author says much more important things than don't forget your underwear. Says much more. But as, as we're going to read parts of that, it's just full of these exhortations. And the heart of it is really this. The author wants to get to this as he ends this letter, that, that following Jesus can feel like a race. Not a race that you're running super fast like a sprint, but a long journey in the same direction. The heart of the, these last two chapters is really to, to help these Christ followers with their ups and downs, with whatever the opposition is in life, with even their successes, but what it means to follow Jesus in the middle of that is like this race. Have you ever been in a race before? I, I ran my first race last summer. Now, I say that with much humility. I'm not a runner, but I ran a race. You know what I'm saying? It's like I can, I can play a, a djembe, but I'm not a djembe player. Like, you know, there's a difference, right, between someone who really does that well and someone who just does it. So I ran my first race I ever, like, registered for, and it was here in DDO, and, uh, and it was fun. But I, I learned a lot because I was running with 800 other people. I normally just run by myself, and nobody really cares, right? So there's 800 other people. And, um, and what I learned is, like, just to be careful how fast you start. That was something I learned because I was really, pr- I felt the pressure. Like, all these people around me, I thought, I better move with them. And so I was trying to run faster than I normally run at the start. I realized, like, not to be so concerned with the person beside you. Like, not, not to be so worried and just to, you know, make sure they're doing well, but not, not let them pressure you into, into what you're doing and your pace. I learned that, like, remember there's a finish line, and I was so grateful for the finish line. Because I, I ran too fast the first kilometer, and, and my body just like, oh my goodness, this is not me. And then the last kilometer, my body still felt the same, but because I knew that like, I, there was a finish line, I thought, okay, I think I, think I could make this without collapsing. And, and I did. I made it. I got it. I got to the end. And they gave me a fresh piece of corn. That's what I got at the end of that. Um, but verse 1 says, run the race. Run with perseverance the race. 
This sense of a race, this metaphor is what it means to follow Jesus, to to be on journey following Jesus right into eternity. And the message of Hebrews is the race is worth it. The journey's worth it. You're going to hit obstacles. You're going to hit difficult moments. You're going to have to figure out what it means to follow Jesus in your failures and even in your successes, but the race is worth it. And that life is better when you discover and follow Jesus. In fact, the race is better. The race is better with Jesus. And chapter 12, verse 1 says, there's this race marked out for you. That's the, that's the words the author uses. There's this race that's marked out for us. In a sense, there's purpose. And I love that about a race because when you get that sense, there's, there's a purpose there. There's, there's a track you're following. There's, there, you know where you're headed. In fact, later, in, later at the end of Hebrews, the author says, we get to do God's will. That's part of the race marked out for us. But I love that because it's not just marked out for me or you. It's marked out for us. It's something we do together. It's something the community of Christ followers, whether local or global, does together. We're on journey following Jesus together. It's a team effort. You're not trying to beat anyone in this race. You're trying to walk it together, finish together. Now, I know it's marked out for us, and to be quite certain, following Jesus doesn't always mean just staying in the lines But it does mean being aware that it's a life full of meaning and purpose and direction. There's a course. There's meaning and purpose through that. And while you run, the author says this, fix your eyes on Jesus. Here's something about the race. Fix your eyes on Jesus. There's a goal. There's a purpose. That Jesus is both the goal ahead of us and the encouragement along the way. In fact, the author says he's the pioneer of our faith. He's the perfecter of our faith. He knows this race more than any of us. He's run this race. He's finished it. He's with us while we're running it. And if, if, there's, if there's people that have run other races, when, when they run certain courses, they tend to f- remember the course and learn the course and, and know where the turns are coming and know when the hills are coming. If you're a golfer, I'm not really much of a golfer, but if you're a golfer and you've played at many courses, then you know the course and you realize, okay, this, this next hole I can kind of get some... I can get some headway here because I know it's just straight. I know there's no turn. Like you, you end up knowing that stuff. Jesus ran this race already. He knows it. He's gone before us. He's also the goal. And he's also at the finishing line. And so this metaphor is helpful for what it means to follow Jesus, that there is a race to run. It's marked out for us. And we keep our eyes focused on him. See, following Jesus is the better life. It's a life full of meaning. But there's still distractions in life, Right? How many of you guys remember when you first learned how to drive? And you remember like when you first took the wheel or maybe your mom or dad said, here, take the wheel. And then you're looking like you're just looking at something. And then you realize you, you go to that thing. You're like, your mom's like, don't hit the curb, right? Because you're looking at the curb. My, my son, he's only, he's only 14, but sometimes he says, dad, could I take the wheel? And I don't do this on the 40, I promise you. But like, you know, on my street or a couple of streets away and we're clo- like, we're just like literally, you know, I don't know, hundred meters from my house. I'm like, yeah, sure. Take the wheel. And you know, but what happens is he, he's, he's not used to it yet. Right. So he's looking at all these objects and he kind of goes for it. And for fun, I press the gas at that moment and he freaks out, thinks we're going to hit a tree. And <laughs> And right when you're driving, you need to just look ahead. And wherever you're looking, that's where you're going to go. That's the reality of that. Um, we, we just recently got a dog. And I know some of you are thinking, I know. See? See? 
there's Amanda knows exactly what I feel about pets, and so she's very shocked. So we recently got this dog. Some of you are congratulating me in your heart. You're saying, great, great. You know, some of you are saying, Dave, what the heck are you doing? Why did you do this, right? But we got this dog. She's wonderful. Her name is Jazz, J-A-Z-Z, and um, she's great. But there's something about her. There's no object that does not distract her on a walk. I'm telling you, people, birds, garbage cans, stick, sticks, living things, dead things, whatever, anything smells, anything distracts this dog. And her head's always to the ground, sniffing, never looking ahead. You kind of just got to pull her here and there. And she's smelling something important. But see, from a human perspective, I'm like, Jazz, there's nothing there. Why are you letting this thing distract you? Who cares about the stick? The garbage can, it's like, it's not going to affect you, right? From a human perspective, I see all that. But as this, you know, my little dog, she doesn't really get that. For her, every little thing distracts her. And I think that's why the the author is saying, listen, there's this race we're running following Jesus. And there's going to be distractions along the way. And Jesus ran the race and he knows, you don't need to be worried about this. Don't get so caught up in this. Don't get so distracted with this. I know the race. But you and me... And I feel this in myself. At times, I will get distracted. I'll be like my dog, getting distracted. And so Hebrews ends with this vision for you and me. In a sense, what the author is going to say, and I'm going to just highlight a couple of points, is don't get distracted too much. Don't get caught up with anything that will weigh you down, will trip you up, or take you out of the race, because some things can take you out of the race. And the author wants us to know that. And here's a few things that will help us get to the finish line, help us live this, walk this better race, this better life. And, and as I share them, just four things, some of them will feel like it's things that mark this journey, that make this journey important, that make this journey worth it. Some, will, some of them are just things that the author is saying, this is going to help you finish this journey. So the whole idea here is how do we run a better race? So here's just four thoughts. And uh, here's, here's the first word. The first word is, is shake. Because there is what we need when we walk this race, when we, when we follow this journey, sometimes we will need to be shaken up. Sometimes we will need to be shaken up. And there's two ways I want to use the word shake. One is there will be shakeups. There's things along the way that you can't predict, that you don't know what will happen in life, that you're not sure of. It won't be perfect. So shakeups will mark your journey. But sometimes there's ways that God intentionally wants to shake us up to help us get through the journey. The assumption is there's going to be wrong turns, there's going to be mistakes, there's going to be things that distract us, and the author wants us to know that, yeah, those shakeups will happen, but there's another shakeup that's there. God wants to, to shake us up at times, and the word the author uses is discipline. That, that God, in a loving way, wants to come alongside us and discipline us to help us move forward in this race. Here's verse 5 and eight, five to 8, as the author says this. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says this, and he quotes an Old Testament passage. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Or you can include daughter there. Verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate. Not true sons and daughters at all. In other words, 
if God is your, is your heavenly father, just like any father, he's going to bring discipline in your life. Any good parent does if he loves us or she loves us. And God loves us and he wants good for us. And so sometimes he brings discipline into our lives. And Hebrews assumes that we will need this at times. The author highlights something really vital that eat none of, we're not immune to. None of us are immune to. And it's this. It's sin. The scriptures talk about sin. Verse, verse 1 of chapter 12. It's not on the screen. Just listen. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. In verse 4, it says, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In other words, you have not resisted like Jesus has resisted on the cross. The author's saying, don't take sin so lightly. Take sin more seriously. Recognize your struggle with sin because sin will detour you. Sin will distract you. Sin will, has the potential to take you out of the race. And so the author uses language like throw it off. Take off that weight that, that burdens you. He mentions, or she mentions, two kinds of sins. Sins in relationship and sins in sexuality. And we're not going to get into that, but what we can get from what the author's saying is that there's stuff going on in this church community, and there's stuff going on in the culture around it. And the author's message is sin has the potential to derail you. So at times, God wants to come like a loving parent and show you that. And so the point is, will we welcome God's discipline? Now, let me just pause and say like this side note. Christianity is really a come-as-you-are faith. Jesus says, come as you are, your whole life, messy or not, come. So there's a messiness that God welcomes from all of us. But at some point, when we recognize sin in our lives, we recognize that mess, although God says, come as you are, that mess can potentially derail us, hurt us, destruct us. And God wants to, in a loving way, nurture that and help us move away from that. And so God disciplines like any child needs it. Sometimes it comes from an inner conviction, an unrest. Like God shows us in our heart that there's something wrong and we recognize it. It's a conviction. We say, oh man, I got I to gotta walk away from this. Sometimes it's accountability from a friend. Sometimes it's a situation that takes place. Sometimes it's something we read out of the scriptures, but God wants to get our attention. Sometimes the author says hardships. Sometimes there's things that happen in our life, a sickness that slows us down, right? Or uh, a debt that exposes, exposes our greed. Maybe a relational conflict that exposes our, our selfishness. There's things that, that sometimes just take place in life, and God can use that as discipline to wake us up, to shake us up, to say, do you recognize that your heart is leading you in this way? That your decisions have, have left you in this way? And so the idea here is your race will have shakeups. My race will have shakeups. But God has another shakeup in mind. He wants to discipline us, to help us keep moving on that race. And so the thoughts at the end of Hebrews is welcome his discipline because it's loving. Here's another thing for the journey, and it's, it's the word supply. I'll be honest with you. Every word starts with the letter S. But if you're taking notes, you can write it down. Um, so this word supply, verse, verse 5 and 6 in chapter 13 says this, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Who can, what can mere mortals do to me? Here's this sense that the author is saying, listen, on your journey, you have supply. 
God is your supply. God is with you. God is for you. And there's this promise. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. There's this other promise. He is your helper, so you don't have to fear. Because that's true, then the author says, be content with what you have. And contentment, or a lack of contentment, can be our distraction, right? Can be a distraction in our walk, in our life. In other words, stop striving to such a degree that you lose your contentment. That you lose your joy in this journey. That you lose your joy in this walk. Because the opposite is horrible. The opposite is bondage. The opposite is, can feel like slavery. So that's why the author says, be free from the love of money. This, the author doesn't say be free from money. We all need money to work, to live, to sustain. But the author says, be free from the love of money. In other words, learn contentment because that's one of the distractions along the way. But he doesn't just say that. He says, here's why you can learn contentment. Because God will never leave you. Because God's your helper. Because God's your provider. Because he supplies your needs. And he's with you. See, culture, I don't know about you, but culture instills in me sometimes a sense of fear. Like, I don't have enough and I'll never be secure. And I won't have enough now and later on or next year. And culture at times wants to instill that fear. But Hebrews says, run this race with contentment. And run this race with confidence. And you can say, like he quotes Psalm 118, I will not be afraid because God's my helper. So remember, you have this supply in this, along this journey. That's what marks this journey of following Jesus. It's a supply from God because he loves us. He cares for us. Here's this other, this other word I want you to just think about in this journey. And it's so, it's so vital. Sometimes we forget about this. But it's our spiritual siblings. It's our spiritual siblings. Chapter 13, verse 1 says this. It says, love, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Here's this author writing to these first century Christians. They're not alone. There's other Christians. There's other believers. There's other people in this church community. Some are newer. Some are older. Some have been uh, walking with Christ for a while. Some just discovered who Jesus was. Most came out of a Jewish background in this church. Some came out of a non-Jewish background, but they've been forming a family, a family of faith. And so the author says, in this journey, along this race, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. In other words, in this race, you're not meant to beat somebody else. You're not, you're not, you're not, I'm not running this race so I could win and I can get there before my wife or she can get there before me or I can get there before Andy or Andy can get there before Bruce. That's not the point. The point is that we all get there together. That we all finish together. That, that we all move and walk towards this together. In fact, we must help each other finish well. We must help each other finish well. You know, I was thinking a lo- little bit about this, and I, I was thinking back to when we first planted Westside, and the first two people that, that, that just um, connected to what we were doing was Steve Colantonio, our guitar player, and Christina Perillo. And Steve was the first other guy in this small group of five people, except my son, who was two at the time, that was like this brother. My wife, obviously, both of us together, and Christina was like our sister. (laughs) It felt like this was the beginning of this small little family. And I felt like, hey, here's, I felt, oh, this is, here's Steve, this brother in Christ, who's, he's really partnering with us. Christina, the sister in Christ, is really partnering with us. We're not going to do this alone. We're not going to do this alone. We're going to do this as a community. 
Just this week, I had breakfast with someone, and we chatted. We had a good time together, and, and, uh, and we talked about things. And in some ways, I hope that I pastored them. But something happened. At the end of, the, at the end of our time together, at the end of our breakfast, we're in a restaurant, and this guy just, he said, hey, can I pray for you today? And he just, he took my hand with, with strength, and, and he just started praying for my day. And just prayed that God would lead my day, and cover my day, and be with me, and prayed for a whole bunch of different things, really with sincerity and heart. And I, in that moment, I realized this person, I'm not alone. This person is my brother in faith, in life. And we walk together. See, and the author saying, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Here's a question. How are you loving your brothers and sisters along the way? How are you loving one another, caring for one another, listening to one another? Does a casserole get dropped off when it's necessary? Does there, do we become a support staff when, when tragedy hits or, when, or even through a successful moment? Do we celebrate together? Are, are there spiritual brothers and sisters? Are, they, are, are you serving one another? Are we serving one another? Are we loving one another as we walk through this? And I, I was thinking about this for us specifically in our church. And there's, there's one group I was thinking that, that I often feel for and and, you know, we can talk about it for anybody here. But I was thinking about singles in our church community that I often feel for because we're, we, we've grown so much with families in our church and families at times with families with kids. And so there's couples that maybe don't have kids and singles that uh, aren't married or maybe a single parent. And, and I think, are we loving our single brothers and sisters well? Are we caring for them well? Are we thinking about them? I was thinking, like, could a family say once a month when we eat together, we're going to have a single person over for supper and, and ensure that they have family? And just, it was just one of the, the examples, I think, in our community that was highlighted for me in my heart and I was, as I was thinking about this here at Westside. But it's not just singles, it could be others, people on the margins, or maybe it could be a family that that's, feels disconnected. But are we loving one another? Are we loving one another? That means people with different schedules than us, people with different marital statuses that, than, than you do, people with different socioeconomic uh, levels than you do. It's loving one another through that. And then this love that overflows. The author goes on to say, are you loving the stranger, the hurting, the prisoner? In verse 2, it says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as you were, as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. So that love that, that we have for one another should overflow should overflow to people in our society, people on the margins, people hurting, people in pain. And I was thinking, uh, yesterday our tax clinic, I met someone named David. And uh, Joanne, who was doing the registration, she pulled me aside. She says, Dave, there's this person over there, and he's going through so much pain physically, emotionally, I think like if you could just pause and talk with him. So he was sitting there waiting for his turn and he had earphones on and uh, I just kind of tapped him on the shoulder and he you know, kind of freaked out a little bit. And um, so I said, hey, what's your name? And he's, he said, my name's David. I said, my name's David. And so he kind of liked that. And um, so we're chatting and this, this man uh, was, you know, he was real, like his life was okay. He was a nurse. 
he was doing well. He moved back to Montreal to help his mom, help other family members, and life just went downhill the last five years. Like economically, socially, his, his, family, his mom passed away and he got sick and then got sick and then got sick and, and he, he struggles in so much pain in his body, struggles with the tumor behind his eye that's growing right now and he was just there waiting to get his taxes done and I thought, how are we, lo- how are we loving people? I, I, was, I was at a loss for words to say, how can we love you tangibly? Tangibly, how can we love you? He was so grateful for what we did yesterday. But that's what it means to love then beyond us and to overflow beyond us. But here's this last piece, and it's the word shape. Because along the journey, along our walk with Christ, God wants to shape us. And we already read these verses. Chapter 13, verse 20 and 21 says this. Now may God, or the God of peace, I left out the the, sorry. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, check this out. May God equip you with everything good for doing his will. May he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. In other words, God wants to shape us for this journey. He wants to equip us for this journey. My daughter said, Dad, what are you speaking about today? So I I just shared briefly, like in a nutshell, and when I said the word shape and equipping, and she's like, oh, so God's going to give us equipment? Like for this thing, I'm like, exactly. He's going to give us equipment, the equipment we need to walk this journey, the equipment we need to keep following him and to go through life uh, following him in faith. And so as we think about that today, I want us to remember that God wants to equip us. The, the author ends the whole, the whole book saying, may God's grace be with you. That word grace is the word charis, and that's where the words gifts come from. God wants to give us gifts. And he already has given us gifts for this journey so we can walk this journey in a unique way. You might walk it in one way. I might walk it another way. I might serve one way. You might serve another way. I might encourage someone in one way. You might encourage someone in another way. But God gives us these gifts. He equips us for this journey. And then I love that, that, that last part. May he work in us what is pleasing to him. In other words, we struggle so much to say, oh, will I be good for this? Can I make this happen? How, God, will I, can I get through this journey? And the, and the author says at the end, remember, God will work in us what is pleasing to him. So God's grace and gifts will mark your race, will mark my journey and your journey. He will equip you. He'll prepare you. He'll transform you. See, too often we want to just rely on ourselves and we say, I'm going to do it in my power. I'm going to do it with my skill. I can do this. I got that. I can make this happen. You will not run a better race that way. Let God shape your journey. Let God equip you for the journey. Let, let discover the kind of gifts God wants to give you and use you. He wants to shape your journey. He wants to lead you and equip you and guide you. Let me end with this story. I was, as I was reading this week, I discovered this amazing story from 1983. There's a world, world-class marathon in Sydney, Australia. And 150 world-class runners converged for this race. It's a ridiculous marathon. It's not your normal 42K. It's a 543-mile endurance run over six days. It's crazy. I don't know who would do it, but... People do it. At least 150 people did it in 1983. There's a, a guy who entered the race. His name is Cliff Young. 
Cliff Young enters the race. He's a 64-year-old potato farmer and sheep herder. Sheep herder. Okay? He, he enters the race at 64 years old, and he grew up on a potato farm herding sheep. People thought it was a joke. They thought, you're here to watch the race. You're not here to enter the race. And he registered. And as a joke, and to make it a, you know, maybe more intentional, they put his number 64 on his chest. Just to remind him, or remind everybody else, that's the 64-year-old guy running this race. And so people, you know, they didn't think this was real. But as the race starts, he's registered and he starts. He's slower than everybody else. Everybody kind of takes off, um, you know, totally ahead of him. He's, he shows up that day, actually, to register in overhauls and like galoshes, like farm stuff. Everybody comes in their cool gear and everything, and he comes looking differently. But they start this race, and uh, Cliff had this unique run. It was like they called it a leisurely odd shuffle that he had. I guess he got it on the farm. And, uh, well, five days, 14 hours, and four minutes later, Cliff Young wins the marathon. He wins the marathon in 1983. The closest runner was nine hours behind him. Nine hours behind him. See, just some context. Cliff grew up on a farm without horses and without four-by-fours. And when they had to herd sheep, this, the farm that he worked on was like 2,000 acres on the countryside of Australia. So when, when storms came and he had to round up 2,000 sheep, he did it all by himself. He did it all like he ran and walked and ran for three days straight during this storm times to make sure the sheep were all round up. So he developed pace and stamina and that leisurely odd shuffle that he ran the race with. And see, in the marathon, the other runners, what they would do is they'd run for 18 hours and sleep for six. But Cliff never got the memo, so he's like, I guess I don't have to sleep. He just kept running. But he was used to it from, from like herding the sheep in the times of storms and all that other stuff. So he kept running and he kept running. And he won that race because of his endurance. He won that race because of his perseverance. He won that race because of his unique gifts and his unique style. He, he didn't try to be like everybody else. He didn't, he didn't, uh, he didn't just you know, kind of follow the, the routine. He said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just do this the way I've, been, I've learned to do this. And you know, that's kind of what this call is for us, for you and me. We're called to run this race. We're called to run a better race. We're not called to just live life like everybody else lives it. We're called to something better in Jesus Christ. We explored over the last 12 weeks better hope, better rest, better faith, better peace, better future. And as we come to the close here, we're called to run this better race. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, running with perseverance. We're also called to run this race. Think about this. As we run this better race, let me remind you, there will be shakeups. But let God shake you up as well. Welcome his discipline. He will supply your needs during this race. You don't have to run this race alone because you have spiritual siblings to run it with you. And then lastly, God shapes you. God gives you unique gifts by his grace to equip you, to give you the equipment you need to run this race following him. Let's stand as we close in prayer.
I'm going to invite you as we pray just to press into the Lord. Um, maybe as you've walked through this and myself, just this whole, these whole passages have been challenging to me, both encouraging and challenging. And as we take this time to close in prayer, just give you a moment to, to bring yourself towards your commitment to God, your walk with God. Take a moment and be thankful for the things that he's marked this race with for you, the things that he's given you for this race. Maybe you're here today for the first time and, and you're, just, you're just starting to discover Jesus and explore Jesus and, and something in you is saying, I want to run that race. I want to run that race with Jesus. I don't want to run this race alone anymore. I don't want to live this life without Christ. And if that's you, God promises you all this as well as you put your trust in Jesus, as you call Jesus Lord, as you, you turn away from a life without Christ and turn to a life with him. Say, I'm going to trust you, Jesus. And so if that's you, I invite you in the simplest way you know how just to say those words to to Christ in prayer. Jesus, I want to trust you. Jesus, lead me. I'm going to fix my eyes on you, maybe today for the first time, and I'm going to trust what you've done for me on the cross and in the resurrection and start running this race. And here's the promise. God will be with you. Jesus has already run the race, and yet he's going to walk with you through it now. Let's pray. Father, thank you that um, we just got this amazing vision through the letter of Hebrews together of the better life, the better vision for life, the better hope found in Jesus, the better rest that comes when we put our faith in you, the better future that you promise us, the better access that we have in relationship with you through Christ. The better clarity. And even now, God, as we come to a close, we're just so grateful for the better race that you call us to run, this journey of following you. It's better because we don't have to do it alone. So we welcome how you lead us and guide us and shape us even discipline us along the way. As you supply for us, we say thank you. As you've put us in a family of spiritual siblings. So God, we, we just um, today, in a fresh way, say yes along this journey. Even as maybe many of us have been walking this journey, at this point in our journey, God, we continue to say yes. We continue to say yes. And we fix our eyes on Christ the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. We're so grateful for that. God, for some today, maybe that are, that are just at the beginning of this race, or maybe today even putting their faith in Christ for the first time, God, will you confirm in their hearts by the power of your spirit that they, as they put their trust in you, they become part of this incredible family walking this race together. Lord, respond to their prayer. Respond to their call. Their trust in you. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.